More than the clothes we wear, style is about the way we move through the world. On this episode of Beyond Style Matters, I talk with Canadian drag queen Brooklyn Heights. When it comes to the art of performance, Brooklyn Heights is a shining star. The 35-year-old Toronto-born ballet dancer first stole our hearts in season 11 of RuPaul's Drag Race, the first Canadian to compete in the popular series. Now, as the main judge on Canada's Drag Race, Brooklyn has achieved iconic status, forever wowing us with her stellar and sophisticated sense of style, truly worthy of her Queen of the North moniker. The best news for Brooklyn's legions of fans is that she's got a new Crave original series that's just debuted called One Queen, Five Queers, a delightful platform for heated discussions about sex, relationships, pop culture, and other challenges facing the LGBTQ2S plus community. You could call Brooklyn Heights a kind of new age goddess, one who's determined to stimulate conversations and inspire us to see ourselves in brave and beautiful new ways. Brooklyn Heights, welcome to this episode of Beyond Style Matters. I'm so happy to have you on the other end of the line and and to see you because I'm lucky enough to actually have the visuals in front of me too. And so much of it is about that. Wow, you're gorgeous. Thank you so much. It's such an honor to be talking with you, you Canadian icon, (laughs) iconic. Jeannie Becker, how are you? Uh, I'm good. I, you know, I was doing a little bit of, uh, you know, research about your background because to me, you were just all of a sudden there one minute, you know, I discovered you all at once and drank you in. Um, And I realized that you are just one year older than my oldest daughter, Becky, and you both went to ESA, Etobicoke School of the Arts. No way! So I don't know if you knew my Becky O'Neill. That's amazing. I probably didn't because I only went for grade nine. I went for musical theater for one year and then I left to the National Ballet School of Canada. Well, well then. Okay, so obviously, you know, performance um, was in your blood from a very young age and you went for the discipline of ballet, which is an incredible discipline. I mean, I I studied mime in Paris with with the old man that taught Marcel Marceau. And uh, there was a very um, strict kind of uh, regime, uh, discipline, but the physicality, the workout, the exercise, very much like ballet, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of that kind of bar work almost. Um, And that is a very strict way to grow up what was it about that that appealed to you at that young an age honestly I just kind of fell into it I started taking dance late in life I think around the age of 14 and I just I I was a kid who just didn't have anywhere to go I didn't fit in anywhere and I didn't really have a way to express myself and I found dance and I I got lucky because I was I had a naturally good facility for it which quite honestly is a lot of the battle when it comes to ballet um so it was it came pretty easy to me and I think I like the routine and I like the strictness because it gave me focus and it gave me something to like channel all of my teenage angst and energy towards. Yeah. You are obviously, I would think, I shouldn't say obviously, but I would imagine mm. um, that you didn't have an easy time growing up because you didn't officially come out till you were like 18. Yeah, no, I didn't come out till I was about 18 years old. Um, and I grew up in a very kind of Christian environment. I went to church every Sunday for 18 years and every 
Wednesday or Friday for youth group. So I was at church twice a week and my mom is a missionary kid and I, I just come from a whole Christian background. So yeah, it was difficult growing up because I, I didn't feel, I didn't see anybody like me. I couldn't talk about who I was or like why I was different. So it was hard. So I think that was another reason I really fell into the arts because I just felt mm-hmm. like I belonged. What kept you uh, on the straight and narrow though? Like what, what kept you sane? My imagination, I think kept me sane and my going into my brain and creating worlds for myself where I could be whatever I wanted to be. I think really that's what kept me sane. I guess uh, for anyone that practices the art of drag, you know, it's a little bit about that too. Mm-hmm. I imagine that it's a very therapeutic uh, kind of activity, cathartic. I mean, can be crazy making too at times. Oh, absolutely. But yeah, it's very therapeutic and um, very freeing, which is funny because a lot of the time you're very constricted when you're in drag, but at the same time, it's very freeing mentally and emotionally to be able to express another side of yourself. How hard was it, uh, or maybe not, to find uh, Brooklyn Heights, to find that persona? Oh my gosh. Well, it was a long journey, honestly. I started experimenting in drag when I was about 19 years old, and I didn't really officially become Brooklyn Heights and really start doing drag till I was about 26, 27. So it was a long journey of like trying it, going away from it, trying it again, trying different facets of it, and then really kind of realizing that, no, this is what I want to do. And this is what I'm really good at. This is my Mm. path and my calling. What is it that really turns you on about the art of drag, about the transformation um, to that degree? I think it's that the transformation. I love transforming into something else. I love to, I love seeing what I can become and what I can experiment with. And I love, I love glamour. I love the glamour. I love, I love becoming a beautiful creature. My inspiration for my drag um, is the 90s supermodels. That's uh, my favorite era. And just that time when fashion is so glamorous and just over the top and gorgeous. And I just, I love that. And these Amazon women ruled the world. I'm very much obsessed with that. So that's kind of where I draw a lot of my inspiration from. Did you grow up watching fashion television? Like so many... I did. I, People I, up, I know. <laughs> I, I grew up watching fashion television and Speaker's Corner and Electric Circus <laughs> and all of them. That was my childhood. So yeah, that was very much a part of my upbringing. What a, what a heady time uh, that was. Mm-hmm. For you being um, on Drag Race, obviously doors started opening in, in miraculous ways. Did you realize the power of uh of that show of the fact that you know you would have this platform to really press yourself it's just really amazing to me like how how many doors have been opened to me from this show this this show that started off as just a little show and then we're almost 16 seasons 15 seasons in now and it's just really taken over the world and it's uh, RuPaul has really just opened, kicked down the door, I will say, for drag, for the art of drag, being seen as a viral, viable art form and also something in mainstream. Like now mm-hmm. I have two TV shows. I just shot another TV show in LA as a drag queen. And like this never would have happened before. Like all of these things that I'm able to do now and be myself and mm-hmm. do it as a man in a wig, essentially, it's just magnificent to me. I can't believe it. So yeah, I never in my wildest dreams imagined I would be here. I always knew I was going to be famous. I'll never forget a moment. And when I was at ESA, my dance teacher, her name was Victoria. Your daughter probably knows who exactly who I'm talking about or she's watching this or listening to this. And it was our first dance class. And Victoria walked up to me and she just looked me up and down. And she looked me in the eyes and said, you're going to have a very interesting life and walked away. 
And I wow. never forgot that. And she was absolutely correct. I've had a very interesting, fascinating life so far. It's pretty cool uh, where it's taken me. And I'm just grateful and enjoying the ride. What about encouragement from family members, you know, people at home? What about your parents? Do they uh, encourage you to pursue this kind of a path? <laughs> Not exactly. I wouldn't say they encouraged me. They encouraged me to dance. It was weird. They loved that side of it. And yeah, I was even with uh, Le Ballet Trocadero de Monte Carlo, yeah. you know, the drag yes. ballet company. They were totally fine with that. It was the minute I took away the ballet part of it, it was like, I'm just doing drag. And they were like, whoa. But they came around. I think once they saw there was something I was serious about, something I was yeah. making money at and like yeah. doing really, really, really well with, I think they came around. My mom is a huge supporter now. And she um, she came to my viewing parties at Woody's when I was on um, season oh. 11. And she's been wonderful. And she watches Canada's Drag Race every week. She has a little oh. party with her friends. So it was That's great. so great. That's so great. great. The first first time you performed drag when when your mom was in the audience what did that feel like oh my gosh she actually I used to live in Nashville Tennessee I, I worked I lived down there for five years and her and my my sister my sister is a lesbian um my oldest sister they drove down with my sister's partner and surprised me at the show in Nashville and it was so cool and she really enjoyed herself and I performed her favorite song which is I hope you dance by Leanne Womack, I believe. It's so cheesy, but it's my mom's <laughs> favorite songs so I performed it for her, even though it's not not something I would normally do. Um, and it was great. It was it was honestly the, the real start of kind of like some healing for us and <sighs> and being able to like, just talk openly with your parents and have a, a more of a friendship and a relationship with them and kind of let them know what's going on in your life. You know, it's so poignant uh, when parents get to that point that they realize that they have to, you know, embrace their kids you know, yeah. hopes and dreams and rather than try to change them because you them. just can't do it. You know, I, I think back to the first time I ever met RuPaul backstage at a, he's probably a Todd Oldham show. He was with Kevin O'Quinn, the mm -hmm. late great makeup artist, of course. Yes. Um, and I was just enchanted with uh, RuPaul from the, the moment I met her. What a brilliant person. And then I had the incredible honor of launching the first Viva Glam lipstick that MAC yes. did, launching RuPaul as the face of Viva Glam. Mm -hmm. And we were at a Bendel's in New York and I got to introduce RuPaul. And that was such an outrageous thing at the time. Like, yeah. you know, who could imagine that a drag queen would be selling lipstick? But it was genius, obviously. Oh, no genius. Perfect. It was, rock. It was yeah. like, it was, I, I remember that. It was incredible. It was such a moment. And I mean, RuPaul is a star. Even to this day, every time I see him, every time I interact with him, I can't, he's one of those people for me that I'm just like, you're not a, a human, you're a human being, but to me, you're not a human being. You represent and mean so much to me that I'm just always kind of like, and he has such a presence about him. Like he's yeah. so, he commands that room when he walks into it. Like he just holds court and it's amazing. And I'm, I'm so inspired by him and so grateful for him for everything he's done for me. Yeah, incredible to have a role models of that nature. Um, what about now? You have become uh, quite a role model yourself. And how, how does that feel, the responsibility weird. of that? Weird, it's weird. <laughs> I, it's nice though. I mean, I'm, I'm grateful again for the, the position and the opportunity. I just try to, to do the best I can and work really hard and be kind to people and um, make a good impression. I really do attribute a lot of my success to my, in my ballet background, the discipline, 
the importance of working as a team, the importance of showing up on time, of respecting other people's time, of being a professional was drilled into me my entire life. And it's something that has served me very well in my drag career because I don't know if you know this, but drag queens aren't exactly the most professional on-time creatures usually. <laughs> so really just like bam, bam, bam. I was ready to go. I was I was easy to work with. And that is something that has really stuck with me. I'm not, I'm not, I'm beautiful, but I'm not the most beautiful. I'm talented. I'm not the most talented, but what I am is the most professional mm. and the easy, one of the easiest to work with. And that has served me very well in my career because I keep getting asked back to do things. Yeah. That's interesting too. I think being Canadian has something to do with that, or that's what people say in the business that the Canadians sometimes are just nicer, more professional, yeah. less, you know, carried away with themselves. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and I, like, I, I don't want to say like, I'm the nicest person. I, I, I definitely have an edge to me and I stick up for myself. And that's what, that's one thing I've really learned in this business is you have to advocate for yourself, especially as a drag, because well, it is becoming more mainstream. A lot of people still look at us as like, oh, look, there's a drag queen. They're just happy to be here. When, I, when I'm like, no, this is what I need. Like I show up and I'm like, where's my lighting? What is my lighting? Show me. Like, I, I have to like kind of advocate for myself and speak mm -hmm. up for things that I need and I want as a professional. Every great conversation needs a pause, so this is a perfect time to talk to you about our sponsor, TSC, who, without their support, this podcast wouldn't be possible. Now, as you might know, I've covered the catwalks of Paris, Milan, New York, and London. And so why have I partnered with a retailer like TSC, today's shopping choice? Well, I believe that great fashion should be accessible to everyone, and TSC.ca is home to some wonderful Canadian brands and designers like Kim Newport Mimran, Brian Bailey, Kayla Kay, Ron White, and Hillary McMillan. And of course, TSE offers so much more than mere fashion. Discover quality Canadian jewellery and accessories from Pico, Brass and Unity, and I. You can find more Canadian designers and brands in the CAFA store at tse.ca slash CAFA. And let's all shop better together. You have an amazing sense of style, um, as many drag queens have, you uh, in particular. Wow, you are always just turned out so perfectly. Where did you learn that? Is that just something that comes natural or do you have to work on that? Uh, it's something I actually had to work on. I'll tell you, like my whole drag career, I really didn't have a great sense of style because I was always the dancing queen. Like, so I went out there in a leotard and that was, that was about as much as I thought about it. Leotard, some thigh high boots and I made my money. But when I got on drag race, that was really my first opportunity that I had to think about like looks that I didn't necessarily have to perform and that I just had to like show off. And I'm not talking about like pageant gowns at a pageant, but like actual different themed looks. I never really had to do that before. And that's when I kind of really delved into style and I realized that, oh wait, I. I do have a good sense of style. And again, I attribute a lot of that to being a dancer and understanding line and understanding my body and what parts of my body to showcase and what parts mm -hmm. of my body to hide and stuff like that. So I, I think it really comes from my dance training and just my understanding of yeah. lines. Uh, you know, it's like I say at the beginning of this podcast, every, uh, every time we do it, you know, style is more than the clothes that we wear. It's the way we move through the world and movement because you have studied it to that degree, you were so aware of corporal expression and, you know, the yes. power of the theatricality of, you know, the way your body moves that 
in a, it, it, you could be wearing like a, a potato sack and you'd probably look incredibly stylish because of it, which uh, is a great asset. Because I, because I can, I, I, I can figure out how to ruche that potato sack to give you <laughs> and how to take it off the shoulder to show off my decolletage and all that kind of stuff. It's all about, you can make, you can look good in anything. It's just about knowing how to wear it and where to cinch it and how to fix it. Have you always felt beautiful? I know you were saying before, well, I'm not the most beautiful. Well, you're pretty. Well, I'm not. I mean, like, I know I'm a very much a realist. I am not the most, like, I know I'm not the most beautiful drag queen in the world. I'm not saying I'm the ugliest and I know I look great, but I'm not like the, the one. Um, I have not always felt beautiful. It took me a long time to kind of figure out myself and get myself to where I wanted to be. I was very much like a late bloomer. I was very awkward. I went through a horrible growth spurt and I was one of those lanky kids with acne. I looked like a baby giraffe for a long time. And I just always felt very awkward and uncomfortable in my body. And I think um, one of the great things about being a late bloomer is as you get further along in life, you kind of blossom into yourself, which I think is better to do almost because mm. it's, you don't, no one wants to peak too early. It's better to peak a little bit later when you have money to enjoy yourself and you're an adult and all that kind of stuff, you know? So I'm, I feel like I'm finally coming into my own and every, every year I feel a little bit more comfortable with myself. Was there a point in your uh, professional career when you realized that, okay, I'm, I'm doing it. I've got it. It's happening. No, I, I haven't reached that point. I don't let myself reach that point. I like to keep pushing myself. I always ask more. I, I'm very, very hard on myself. I'm my own worst critic and I always take a moment to appreciate what I've done, but I'm like, that's great. What's next? How do we keep this going? How do we keep this ball moving? So um, there was never a moment where I'm like, ha, huh, I've arrived. I've done it. Because I think that's the moment that you stop working and you stop trying. And I never want to stop trying. Mm. So I want to be at my best. You've got a new show launching on Crave. Well, by the time this podcast airs, it will have just launched. Uh, very exciting. Tell me a little bit about it. Yes, it's called One Queen, Five Queers, and it is a reboot of One Girl, Five Gays, which was the hit MTV Canada show back in the day. And it was such a great show. It was a groundbreaking show. It was the first time we ever saw uh, gay people, sitting, gay men sitting around just talking about being gay and talking about their experiences. And I think it helped a lot of people. And it helped me, certainly. Um, and I wanted to, I've always loved the show, and I wanted to revamp it in a way that was of the time. Because, I mean, now inclusivity and visibility are such big things that are happening in the world. Finally, we're seeing inclusivity of all different genders, all different races. And I wanted a show that would emulate that for the queer community. So I wanted to show trans people, non-binary people, lesbians, bisexuals, two-spirited people all come together in a show um, where we just talk about being queer, about queer life, about the queer experience, and just open, honest, raw discussions about sex, love, relationships, family, religion, all of it. Um, and just be able to speak about it just truthfully without any censorship or um, anything like that, which is wonderful that it's on Crave and mm. um, we can say whatever we want. <laughs> oh yeah, I know. I can't wait to watch it. It just sounds so phenomenal. How tough is it for people to be that candid about themselves when they have no idea who's out there in the audience watching and listening. I mean, I think in the moment it was very easy because we, it was a very comfortable, it was a very comfortable environment, a very comfortable set. I think everyone felt very safe and very welcome. So we were all just kind of 
talking about everything. And now when I watched it back, I was like, oh shit, I said that. Oh my God. I, can't. I was like, my mom's going to see this. There was, a, and there was a couple of things I asked them to take out and they were like, we think we should really keep it in. And then I thought about it. I was like, yeah, that's, you know what, you're right. That's the whole point of the show. Like we're talking about real stuff, about real human experiences and things that are uncomfortable and maybe a little bit embarrassing, but I mean, there it's stuff that everyone goes through. So why are we not speaking about it? Yeah, I guess that's one of the um, the wonderful things about uh, the age that we're living in now. We really are in an age of transparency. Hopefully, you know, there are still a lot of people that have deep, dark secrets buried that they will never reveal. Yes. But um, it just feels like we're moving in that direction where it's much more about, you know, opening up and celebrating who we are and loving ourselves warts and all. Absolutely. And by doing that, we help other people because there are other people out there out there who do not have the platform that I have or that uh, any of these queer folks that we have on the show have. And they're going to see someone on TV who looks like them, who identifies like they do. And they're going to see them talking about sex or love or relationships. And they're going to be like, wow, I'm not alone. It's so wonderful. Whoever thought that by, you know, like putting on a little lipstick and a, a great wig and, you know, some bl sexy bling, you could end up really doing so much good for people like yeah. when I say being a role model encouraging people to really shine and put their best selves out there yeah I mean I think it's just it's my way of giving back I mean we all try to use our celebrity for something good and something meaningful and so this is almost my a little bit of my way of I don't even know if activist is the right word but of just my way of like as a cis white male what can I do to contribute to society what can I do mm -hmm. to change like what what meaningful thing I can do besides posting Instagram stories about stuff or retweeting stuff like what can I do that is something different that is mine that I can do to help out and this is this kind of like came together and so this is sort of my thing I think so great what's the toughest part of this journey been for you thus far I'm really tired <laughs> <laughs> it's not easy being a star it is not let me tell you um i'm and I, I i don't like complaining but yeah i think the hardest part is just especially it's just it's been go 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 um of course the pandemic happened and that was a nice kind of chill but i'll but then of course i was like i need to work mm -hmm. but i think my problem is i i say yes to everything and i i i'm of the mindset that like if you don't do it, somebody else will. So say yes to everything. You never know what's going to lead you. You never know what door mm -hmm. is going to open. So I always try to do everything and I put a lot on my plate. And as Kate Moss once said, I'll sleep when I'm dead. So um, I'm, I, that's what I'm kind of rocking with right now. It's <laughs> so, so true. Is managing personal and professional life and just finding self-care time for myself and moments to just like relax and chill and center myself. And how, how easy or difficult is it to, when you talk about that balance between professional and personal, to really strike that, you know, harmonic chord? It's incredibly difficult for me because I love to be busy. I love to go, 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 go. And I don't like to be alone with myself and alone with my thoughts because that's when, that's when things start to creep in, as we all know, <laughs> is when you have nothing to do. And then you're like, oh my God, am I never going to work again? is this the end like and you see other people working and you think they're doing more than you and you're not doing enough and then you like i my anxiety kicks in and my depression kicks in and all that stuff i think it's um for me it's really comes down to discipline again and it's something i'm not great at is taking care of myself i'm good at other things with discipline but i'm not great at being disciplined in the act of self-care 
Mm-hmm. So that's something that I need to work on. And that's also one of my new year's resolutions is to kind of force myself to get into a routine of self-care. You're so wonderfully driven though. And that I, I, is a curse yeah. and a blessing, you yeah. know, at the same time, <laughs> like, you know, you, you're killing yourself, but you know, it, in the meantime, you're, you're, you're loving it too. Cause you love work. It. You got to strike while the iron's yeah. hot, you know, like you never, I don't know how long this is going to last. It's not going to last forever. I can tell you that much. So I want to take as full advantage of it as I can. Well, I can to do what I can with the platform I've been given. I mean, my 15 minutes of fame has, I've really extended that at this point. It's been, it's been a couple of years and I, I'm going strong. So I'm, I just want to keep it going as long as I can do everything I can. And uh, I, I think, I think you're here to stay, baby. Definitely. Aww, thank what, you. What, just, you know, to, to wrap things up a little bit here, it is so hard because I just want to pick your brain and ask you a million questions. You're so <laughs> fascinating to me. What's the biggest lesson you've learned about women? about females through drag, you know, it, 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 has it given you an in, insight into uh, a female psyche that some guys may not have? Well, first of all, I, I, I've never been with a woman, but I, I have a great love affair with women. I love, I love everything feminine and everything about women. I think I've realized how powerful they are and the power that you have as a woman. I don't think a lot of men realize how powerful women are and how divine. I think it's the divine that I that really gets me. Um, even dressing up as a woman and not um, not even identifying as a woman myself, I feel when I'm in drag the divine a little bit. I feel the power. I feel the energy. So I think that's something I really learned about women and watching them and studying the especially the '90s supermodels for so long. It's just that mm. divine power and presence that is inside every woman. Yeah, that they just have to kind of let out and release and also I have to tell you one of my bucket list things is I want to walk a fashion show I've never walked a fashion show speaking of ever and I that's literally like top of my list I just want to walk a fashion show and a fashion week just one time you know the one thing that um that you exude in such a wonderful way is a a true class and I think that's something that is very uh you know rare these days you know there there's a lot of fun stuff going on there's a lot of you know trashy stuff and there's a lot that's uh, done for the sake of entertainment but you know when it comes right down to it you have such a a gorgeous classy demeanor that I think uh, you know that it becomes like an aspirational thing for you know everybody that watches you you know whatever sex they are whatever persuasion yeah you you, uh you really do shine in that way so thank you I really appreciate that that means a lot coming from you Miss Jeannie Becker Thanks for listening. New episodes of the podcast will be coming at you every other Monday. You can watch Style Matters Thursday on TSC or online at the tsc.ca website. Till next time, I'm Jeannie Becker.